Hello. Welcome to another segment of Child Abuse and Recovery. Today is September the 7th, 2022. I did not know that I had a problem at first. I thought that everything was fine as long as I accepted that I had been abused. I did not understand the brunt of a lot of the abuse. A lot of it was covered up. It was blocked. It was behind brick walls. And a lot of it is still behind brick walls or black walls or whatever you want to call it. Nowhere where I could know what happened because I am too afraid of getting to the root of it because some of the last things that I had uncovered, it was too devastating. And I never thought I was going to get over that. And I know that when something, you start uncovering things, it's supposed to get harder and harder, the memories. It's like it uncovers a little bit of the easier stuff, even though it's not easy, but far, no way easy. But I understood that I had been neglected, abandoned. I understood that I had been shot at. I knew my dad had twisted my nose with some pliers when I was six years old. I knew a fellow about me when I was seven. I heard stories about me losing my breath when I was two. And my dad had run up and down the main road and I don't understand why we didn't have a vehicle or whether somebody had borrowed it or it had broken down at the time or maybe my aunt refused to let my dad drive it at the moment because my dad was bad about drinking at this percent time of his life but according to my aunt he was running up and down the road, and it was in Decatur, Alabama, Beltline Road. And back then, it was two-lane. It was not four-lane as it is today. I even doubt that it was even <laughs> paid, but it could have been. I'm not sure. That, we're talking about 1964 here, so <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I know that, fortunately, a police officer drove by and stopped. He tried to give me mouth-to-mouth, -mouth, and that did not work. So he put me and Dad in the back of his car and rushed me to the hospital where I had to have 
an emergency tracheotomy. They had me in the hospital for two weeks testing me, trying to figure out what the problem was. And I was told they never found the problem. I've got speculations, but I'm not going to go there at the moment. Maybe later on. And I understood that my mother had left me and my other siblings when I was four years old in a grocery store. And I had heard that this happened frequently. And my aunt got tired of it because she had to go to the grocery store and pick the five of us up. And then mom would come back a week later, a whole week later. So my aunt got tired of it and refused to let mom take us the very last time because it wasn't getting any better. It just kept happening. It was putting us in grave danger. So that's when, shortly after that's when dad and mom got a divorce. He ended up with a stepmom, with my stepmom. <laughs> well, by the time I was six, they were married. And she had two kids of her own. One of my older siblings, who was not around during the abandonment time, because I believe mom must have had put them both, the two older siblings that were born in Germany, had put them in an orphanage. Well, later on, I guess my dad got my brother from the orphanage to help take care of us kids. And I really loved my stepmom because we actually had a bed to sleep in. I loved going and pampering her. I loved going and rubbing her feet and her legs. I guess I really liked the fact that I felt like she wanted me around. But soon, especially with so many kids, they would call us brats. So many brats running around. <laughs> and that's okay. You know, we were country bumpkins. It's okay. And it didn't take long to realize and see her dark side where she liked dragging me around mother hair in my head 
and especially after dad died when I was 14. I was washing dishes some of the time, and I never knew whether or not she was going to kick me for whatever reason, but I washed dishes, and all of a sudden I felt a sharp pain, and I was wondering what was what I did wrong, and she said, get that chip off your shoulder, and I was thinking, what chip, you know, was it? I knew better than back talking. So then I had to put on that fake mask of being happy. So another day, she came up behind me and kicked my rump again as I was doing dishes. And said, get that shitty grin off your face. And I was thinking, okay. I get in trouble for not smiling, and I get in trouble for smiling. I get in trouble for just being there, doing the dishes, and all of a sudden, she could have an anger spurt and grab me by the hair of my head and drag me all through the house. <clears throat> my belly was straight up... Uh, I was walking about like a spider type of thing, you know, on my forge trying to, you know, it really hurt her pulling by the head, of the, by my hair. It was so much pain. It was unbelievable. I was like, what did I do to deserve this? Well, then other types of abuse, of abuse I did not know had happened. And I know that before I married, and the reason why I went ahead and got married when I did, I overheard my stepmom and her two kids talking. They were sitting in the living room. I was coming from a back bedroom, and there was a bedroom that was within listening distance and I was I heard my name mentioned so I just stood back and listened oh what are we going to do with her oh we're going to be in some serious trouble if they find out if she tells what we've been doing to her we're in serious trouble well we couldn't put her in an institution, but if they believe her, you know, we would be in serious trouble. And, uh, well, we got to get rid of her soon. What are we going to do? We could kill her and make it look like suicide. Yeah, they will believe she committed suicide. When do we do this? This weekend. So, that afternoon... I spoke to my boyfriend, and I told him what was going on. So we both decided that I was going to skip school that day, and he was going to skip work that day, you know, the Friday before the Saturday in which they were talking about killing me. And that's what we did. 
we went and got some marriage blood tests first. We had to have blood tests to see if our blood types would combine if we were going to have kids in the future. They had to check and see if our blood types mixed. Um, that's why they had told us. That's why they do that. And we went ahead and got the wedding rings. And then we went and got the marriage license. And, but we had stopped off at my stepmom's work and said, we're fixing to go get married. And so that she would know that when she got home from work, I would be gone. I did not anticipate that she would go ahead and take off work. Right then, my daughter's getting married. My daughter's getting married. <laughs> so, she had called a preacher to come marry us that night. So, it was a grueling. <laughs> it was a grueling afternoon. But, um, anyway, that's how I ended up getting out of that situation. I had decided I wanted to continue going to school. I did not want to quit. My husband was still living at home with his mom, and he had a handicapped brother. And me and my ex-husband, he's my ex-husband now, we slept upstairs in the two-story house that his grandparents had built years and years ago. Later on, years later, after I had my sons with my marriage, um, I was having so many physical problems, female problems, that every time I sweep in the floor or bent over, I bled. And so the doctor said that I needed a hysterectomy. But I did go get a second opinion first. And he's one, the second opinion doctor is one that told me that my uterus was doubled in size. Okay. And so the first doctor said, I could have told you that. And I was thinking, well, why didn't you tell me that? You told me I had problems, but I like knowing what exactly the problem is what he had noticed. So he had went and done a hysterectomy, and it was a partial hysterectomy. And it is strange, and you know it's trouble, when the doctor pulls up a chair in your hospital room 
and has a seat right there close to you, his words were, were you abused? My reply, even though I seemed dumbfounded, was like, yeah, what's, what's the deal about that, you know, um, I know I've been abused, and uh, I'm doing okay, I do not understand why you're bringing this up, this my, were my thoughts, all right, so I said yes, he said that once he made the laceration because he had to cut me from one side to the other side because my uterus being that swollen, he said he accidentally cut my ureter, and so he had to call kidney specialist to come in and repair it. I said, okay. He said, but they didn't, they're not going to charge my insurance for it because it was his mistake. So he's paying for the kidney doctor, to, his services to come and repair it. And he said, wow. He was waiting on the kidney surgeon to get there, which took two hours for the kidney surgeon. He said he started working on me, and it was like trying to remove scar tissue. And he said it was like none had been removed at all, and he was working two whole hours. And he had to come to a stop because I was bleeding so profusely. And he said, it's like none had been removed at all. And I said, okay. He said, there's a one in 999,999 chance for one of your kidney tubes to be tied. But it's a one in two million nine hundred ninety nine thousand nine hundred ninety nine chance that both of your kidney tubes were tough. And he said, I don't know how that happens. That is very extremely rare. And I was like, okay. And so I wasn't getting to, I really wasn't understanding a lot of the things that he was saying because I was kind of dumbfounded. I was still out of it from the surgery. And uh, he said that the doctor untied both the knots in my kidneys. My kidneys were getting ready to shut down. Thank God he accidentally cut my ureter. Otherwise, we might not have known about the kidney tubes being like that. All right. So getting back to it, I said, what were you saying about the abuse? Yes, I have been abused, but that's behind me. He said, I have never seen 
A woman this messed up internally as you are messed up. And he said, I have seen some ladies pretty messed up from sexual abuse and stuff. And I'm like, oh, okay. He's talking about sexual abuse, not just the fact about being hit with blows from being kicked in the stomach um, as a child and all that. Okay, he said this about sexual abuse, the things that were done to me. Okay. He said, had you ever seen a therapist about this? I said, no, I don't need a therapy. I don't need therapy. I had never, I mean, I know abuse happened, and I still wasn't getting the gist about the severity of the things that happened to me. He said, the magnitude in which this happened to you, the only way for your recovery is for you to be in therapy. I still was not saying yes. At the time, Blue Cross and Blue Shield did not even cover psychological therapy sessions. And I was not even thinking about that. I was looking at the stigma that people say at that time, uh, back in the late 80s, the stigma about mental health. If you were getting any kind of medical attention, needing medical personnel for psychological reasons, you're pretty much good and deemed as nobody ever believing you. You're, you're kind of put into this little cabinet where Oh, let's not, let's keep away from her. She's crazy. That's basically the stigma of it. And uh, I was like, I'm fine. I don't need any kind of therapy. I know I was abused, but I still did not understand the brunt of the sexual abuse. I still had a lot of that block. So, after I got out of the hospital and recuperated from the hysterectomy, I started having nightmares. I cannot even lay down in bed without all of a sudden jumping back up. I was so angry. I could not understand why I was getting so mad. And it's like once he told me there was a problem, all of a sudden it opened up Pandora's box. I did not understand why. I felt like I was going crazy. Why was there so much hate and rage within? Why was I so scared? To go to sleep or try to rest or relax. Why all of a sudden is laying in the dark scarier 
for me? Why can't I just lay my head and just sleep? I'm already exhausted. But instead, that sent my body into fast mode because quick flashes of memory and feelings and, oh, it was just a whole conglomerate. And I didn't understand it. I ended up having agoraphobia. I was afraid to even walk out my front door for the fear of being attacked. That's what some of the hidden memories had brought back to the forefront. I felt like I was walking on eggshells. It did not help in the fact that my husband at the time was abusing me as well. Whenever the agoraphobia was so bad, at times I would get ready to go to town because I did have a driver's license at this time. And all of a sudden, I don't know why, I would just stare at the line in the middle of the road and I would get sicker and sicker with each line I passed. I was panicking. I was petrified going anywhere in public. I felt like, oh no, um, all of a sudden a lot of stomach issues started reappearing. So a lot of times I did not get to my destination. I would turn the car around and go back home. Boy, I knew something was terribly wrong, but I still knew that our insurance, insurance did not cover getting any kind of medical help. Of course, my OBGYN told me that with all the stuff that happened with me, he would be glad to still be my main medical doctor as well. So I wouldn't have to go and find all these different kind of doctors. But he did say I need therapy and I needed to see a psychiatrist that would help me um, possibly with medication-wise. To help with my anxiety levels. I ended up with depression since I couldn't sleep too well. My kids were still young. I hated, I felt like I was more of a burden to everyone. I could not stop the flashes of memory, the, an elder at church paid a therapist, I think it was 
$20 for him to see me in his home. And he agreed with the therapist that he could do unconventional therapy on me. And he had told the elder and my ex-husband that that's the only way that I would be able to get better. And it did not make sense to me going to his home. He locked the door to the office, but he was married and he didn't want his wife to walk in. But he also had the key where I couldn't get out if I wanted to. So I felt even further trapped. I would just stare at the clock, watch the minutes tick away. How are you doing? Fine. What kind of feelings are you having? I'm okay. I'm fine. Really, I didn't think it was okay to be able to talk about my feelings and my fears and things that were was going on. And so he had a suggestion that, okay, let's wrestle. Big mistake. Big mistake. But I went ahead and was thinking, well, he's a therapist. He knows more about the things that possibly need to get done. So we wrestled, he got me to the floor, I could not get up, he had me pinned, and he laid his head on my chest, and I was screaming, get off of me, get off of me, he said, an old man's got to rest, and then all of a sudden, his wife was knocking on the door. Now, anybody who didn't go through trauma, they would say, why did you not scream, get me out of here, help me, help me? Well, I did not feel that was an option. I felt that as long as he had the key and he had it where I couldn't get to it, that I had to do whatever he said. He had the upper hand. But after growing and maturing and getting a lot of knowledge, I had wished that I went ahead and screamed, Help me. He won't get off of me. He's got me pinned to the floor and he's laying on my breast. But, well, I don't, didn't know if he had a weapon around either. That was another thought of mine. I, I already knew that he already overpowered me. I was shocked with the guy that was in his 
later 50s that he was that strong? 50s, early 60s? I was shocked that he had so much strength. That no matter how much I fought, I could not get up. I told my husband, which my husband was there to pick me up anyway, because by the time that I was seeing the therapist, I was too sick to even drive myself around places to go. The good part about this therapist was he took me around places to try to get the agoraphobia sensation, get it, uh, try to heal that. Um, where I could go out in public without panicking. But it always made me still sick at my stomach to be forced to still stay in the vehicle and not able to run in and use the bathroom if I felt sick. I had to still just sit there. That was so difficult. Um, I kept feeling like I was a child all over again, not able to make my own decisions. So I really wasn't healing. But it's kind of weird how I told my husband about him wrestling me, pinning me to the floor, and him putting his head on my breast. And he goes, so what? He said he had to do unconventional therapy. And I was thinking, violating me sexually is unconventional therapy? That did not make sense. Okay, so after... The ex, after his wife had tried to get into the office with us, he later got an office at an old college dorm. And that's where I had to start seeing him then. And he would do the same ploy. He would lock it. And I understood, yeah, that's a dorm place. And anybody, any of the college students that's in the dorm areas or anybody that's in any of the office spaces where of the old dorm, anybody could walk in. I understood that. But what I didn't understand is before I left each time, he forced me to sit in his lap, and a lot of times he had wet on his private area. So he got, he was titillated about hearing some of the sexual abuse that I was remembering and telling him about. And I hated him wrapping his arms all the way around me, not in a thing like a hug, but in a way that was like a trapped feeling. I, like, I'm not going to let you go out of here till you say what I say had happened in here. If I said 
that you forced me in your lap to sit here. You kept the door locked. You would not let me leave. Oh, I was not to say anything like that until I agreed to say exactly what he wanted me to say. Then he let me go. It was so bad at times he would have to go to the bathroom. And, of course, his office didn't have a bathroom. It's a dorm place. And so the bathroom was shared by everybody in that building. And it had stalls just like uh, school would have stalls, the bathroom stalls. And he forced me to go in the bathroom whenever he went to the bathroom. And when we got through with that, then we had to go back in the office and back to know what happened. Oh, I had to go in the bathroom with you. No, you can't say that. But if you do say that, I'll have to say that you were suicidal and talking about killing yourself, so I had to have you in here to keep a watch on you. How very manipulative, you know? So I was so grateful when... Blue Cross finally had emotional coverage where I could leave that guy, which I ended up leaving him anyway because uh, I got upset because him putting his hand over my breast. And um, I said that he better open the door and he better let me out of there. And I told him I would scream. He said, well, if you scream and the cops come, he said, they'll believe him. I said, I don't care whether or not they'll believe you or not. But I can sure as heck let them all know about how he's been violating me and touching me, which I know that would be inappropriate. And that was wrong for him to do. So he better open that door before I start screaming that he's trying to rape me. No, let's sit down. Let's talk about it. Open that door. Let me out of here or I'm going to scream. Well, finally, he unlocked the door. And he gave me an option. said, come back and sit down. We'll talk. No, I'm out of here. Bye. It's over my last time with you so I go back home you know which at this time I was driving myself again which that had improved about me being able to drive myself and I got to my car and I was so proud of myself first time standing up for myself and getting myself away from that toxic therapist. When insurance, like I said, kicked in, so I was able to go see a psychiatrist. I had told him what this therapist had done, and he told 
me that I could file charges against him. And so I went to my husband and said, we need to file charges against this therapist because nobody needs to be going to him when he's doing these violations. This is just messed up. And my husband said, no, uh, I agreed that he could do unconventional therapy. So he could do whatever he wanted to with you, and that was okay. And I was like, what? So when I went back to my psychiatrist, I told him that I'm sorry. I can't press charges and do anything about it. Because I cannot go it alone. I have to live with my husband. And my husband's abusive as well. And I cannot go against him because that would put me in more danger. Plus the elder was against me taking it forward too because he had agreed Oh, that was necessary for him to have done these sexual things to you and stuff. It's unconventional therapy. Oh, it's okay. Well, I learned that real quickly. A couple of people who I had to not listen to and not care and not respect them, even though I was always taught to respect your elders. When he thought it was okay for that therapist to continue touching me like he did, yes, he paid for therapy. But I am not a prostitute. I am not a whore. And I resent the fact of being treated like that. Later on, I'll go to the second part of therapy since this was my second therapist and the one that initially started me on the right path to my healing journey. Thank you so much and may God bless each and every one of you. And as my friend Bill Murray from org says, may God bless all the children of the world and all adult survivors of abuse. Thank you so much, everyone.